Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, you are watching Off the Track, and it is time to drop the hammer. Well, everyone, we made it to episode number six, and this is Off the Track. Welcome back to our Dirt Track Racing podcast. I'm your host, Tanner Holmes, and to my left, I have my best friend and co-host, Bennett Gooch. Bennett, how was your weekend? Uh, pretty phenomenal. First and foremost, I got to say, congratulations, three wins in a row, and setting a new record, Thank 41 you. wins at the Red Bluff Outlaws, uh, all divisions combined. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, 41 wins, Red Bluff, which we're going to touch on so much in this podcast and get a unique perspective, uh, but the Red Bluff Outlaws, a place that's near and dear to my heart, the history of it, it's a huge character here on the YouTube channel. We obviously go there every single winter, and to this day, I will say that it has uh, made me the driver that I am today. So to pick up 41 wins between all the classes, and I guess now be the new mark at the top of the charts. Uh, it's it's humbling for me. It means so much. And I think it's really just a, a testament to not just myself as a driver. You know, I'm just a small part of the puzzle, but my family for supporting me. Uh, now the great relationship I have with QRC Carts and Jimmy Elledge. And uh, he's such a big part of my success as well, right there with my dad. So just super cool to, uh, yeah. you know, be there at the top and, and have that accomplishment. Yeah. We also got to turn some laps afterwards. I got to uh, run the cage clone. Yes. So I got to shake that down. We practiced on Sunday. We did practice on Sunday. I got to to turn some laps in an open, which uh, by the time this comes out, everyone will get to know. I'm running the factory Holmes 18 hired gun, hired gun at Rebla. So March 6th, I'll be making my return to the open class in the four stroke. Yes. And then uh, maybe if we put on a show there and do pretty good, maybe I can, uh, you know, maybe your seat will stay in. Maybe your seat will stay in. So that was good. That's going to be super exciting. Bennett's going to get to turn some laps and that'll all be on his YouTube channel. Also, like you mentioned, we practice. Mm -hmm. I got to turn some laps in a cage clone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mainly we were shooting media stuff, you know, slow-mo. Our guest was there helping with all that. And uh, that's kind of what we're going to jump right into here today. We have a phenomenal guest that's actually going to be here in studio, Kyler Shaw. Uh, Kyler Shaw, the owner of Fast 4 Media. You guys are going to get to hear about his story today. And uh, he actually came up from California to Oregon to uh, be here in studio with us, which we're super excited about. I met Kyler probably in 2016, right when I first started vlogging. He actually said something right after I posted my first YouTube video. He said, hey, if you ever want to do any announcing, uh, I don't know if that's what he got out of my first vlog or whatever whatever. But he's like, hey, you can come up to the booth and, and hang out. So it's going to be great to talk to him here today. Yeah, I think uh, the first time I met Kyler was probably at uh, Red Bluff right afterwards. Uh, before we would me and you would go after the main event, we go up to his booth, get up footage the stands and just get footage uh, for your vlogs and whatnot. But Ever since then, yeah, we've just known Kyler, and he's super cool. He's got a great story, and I'm excited for everyone to hear about today. Absolutely. So we're going to kind of switch up the seating arrangement here. I'm going to move to the middle. Bennett's going to stay in his spot, and Kyler is going to come here on set. But anyway, this is episode number six of Off the Track. We're excited to get into it. So joining us here today on episode number six of Off the Track in Studio, we have the owner and operator of Fast 4 Media, a part-time sprint car driver, a good friend of mine in Bennett's, and also a sponsor on my 2021 sprint car. Kyler Shaw, you're usually behind the camera, and now you're in front of it. Welcome to the show. Yeah, yeah thanks. thanks for having me. Uh, this is actually the first time I've been on a podcast, and like you touched on there, I've really never been in front of a camera other than the times that I raced back then, which we'll touch on later in the show. Uh, but yeah, usually pointing the camera instead of being in front of them. So it's great to be here. Absolutely. We're super stoked to have you on and get to uh, tell the viewers a little bit about yourself. And that's how we really want to start the show. We did have an action packed weekend at the Red Bluff Outlaws, which we want to get into. But first off, tell us a little bit about Kyler Shaw and Fast 4 Media. Yeah, Fast 4 Media is a broadcasting company. Uh, we do the Red Bluff Outlaws, Cycleland, a uh, bunch of big micro races back east. Mostly specialize in broadcasting. I also do video projects for uh, customers, you know, if they want that. But mainly in the broadcasting side of things, uh, trying to promote grassroots racing and really give it an outlet to grow. Yeah. And where are you from? Uh, Fresno, California. So, you know, about five hours from Red Bluff. So yeah, about a little bit of a toe every single weekend, you know, depending on. Yeah, I actually, back then I used to do the trek every week. Now I stay with uh, Jimmy or, you know, I have a camper trailer I could stay in at the track. Uh, so that's really helped out these years. Yeah, so getting into now uh, this last weekend at the Red Bluff Outlaws, you know, a normal broadcast points race number nine. And then also we got the chance to rent the track on Sunday. You rented it for about 12 to 15 drivers to shoot slow-mo videos, have a lot of fun. Uh, talk about, you know, just your weekend and uh, getting to film a little bit about uh, at Red Bluff. Yeah, it was a fun weekend. Uh, like you touched on, we rented the track and then obviously Saturday we raced. You got three in a row, 41 wins. Thank That's you. 
quite impressive. I videoed there a lot of years, and obviously that we don't really see that every uh, every so often. So definitely a cool thing that you did there. Uh, racing was great Saturday. Broadcast went well, and then Sunday we had some fun. We got to run the cage clones, yeah. and you got to shake your clone down for the race coming up yeah. uh, in March. Um, yeah. So yeah, you I, actually got behind the wheel of a car too. Yeah, I did. I, I got to run the the cage clone, like I said, and then uh, the outlaw car. I got to run the F four, and that was a that was a thrill for sure. Absolutely. Uh, one question for you there, because I've raced an open and the cage clone and you've raced the open and you got yes. to try a cage clone, actually. Uh, what's your opinion on the difference between hopping in a cage clone? Because you don't race too often. You kind of just get in the car when you can and whatnot. Uh, going from a cage clone with something that's just about 17 horsepower, getting right into like a high 60 to low 70 horsepower open 500 outlaw car. What was that like for you? Yeah, the, the cage clone was fun. It, obviously, it's got some speed. It was kind of like driving a Cadillac, though, compared to the outlaw cart. Yeah. Uh, the cart is out of control. You know, if, if you don't know what you're doing, you could it could end tragic. So. Uh, I had to take it slow at first, but uh, once I kind of got comfortable in the car, it was actually really fun. I always have fun testing uh, on Sundays at Red Bluff. Obviously, I can't race Saturdays because if I don't film, nobody will. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's uh, the car has a lot of power. Definitely way different than the clone. You could kind of hold it wide open in the clone and just be smooth. The outlaw cart, I mean, uh, something as little as too much throttle or a twitch in the wheel is enough to knock off a tent. Yeah, well, you looked uh, you looked pretty good. What would you say, Tanner? You looked good. I think you had one. You maybe got up on the berm a little bit. Yeah, on one the bottom, time. But one time you got into the berm. I think it was entering turns three, right? Yeah, I, I got too low there. Tried to get a little uh, confident down there on the bottom, and maybe yeah. get the left front up on the berm like some sprint car guys do, because that's where I came from. So. Uh, you can't do that in a cart. You talked a little bit about how you felt out of control or just the power of the 500. And that makes sense, you know, obviously not having that experience, but like not just because we're buddies or anything like that. Like you actually did look really, really good and uh, almost, you know, had like an A main pace. We didn't have transponders on or anything, but your lap times look fine. Uh, you know, you were hitting, you know, certain lines and, and hitting everything properly, you know, weren't floating it into the wall or on exit or anything like that. So it was uh, fun to get to watch you there and hopefully you'll get a chance to get in the cart a little bit more. Yeah, it'd be fun uh, to Maybe you get to race, but uh, it's uh, like I said, it's tough too. But yeah, the the F4, you know, they said if I junked it, I had to pay for it. Yeah, so I yeah. really had to make sure I didn't stuff it in the wall there. Uh, really had to take it slow. But honestly, that, that kind of works better because, you know, like you always tell me before the race is slower is faster at Red Bluff. Oh, 100%. Uh, you can't just go balls to the wall and sail it in there. It doesn't work that way. Maybe at Cycleland. Uh, would you say? Yeah, cycling around the bottom slower is definitely faster because you have to keep the car under you a little bit like Red Bluff because Red Bluff at some point, we're actually going to get into this, talk about Red Bluff and how it's changed over the years. But right now with our current track conditions, the track kind of starts to get a little bit faster throughout the night. But, uh, at, you know, it has at some point where it does slow down a little bit and it's, you know, at its slowest point, maybe nine O's, nine ones, nine twos. And you really have to keep the car under you in order to actually be the fastest. Yeah. Cycleland, I definitely, I've never ran there actually. Uh, you know, I run the test days on Sundays at Red Bluff, but I've never got the chance to run cycling. So that would be cool to try someday. It's definitely but, more fast pace, you know, on the wall, I guess, you know, when you're running up there, you can really feel the speed around the bottom. It actually is way shorter around. Yeah. Red Bluff is definitely fun to turn laps, but I would like to pound that curve on the fence at cycling for sure. Uh, so getting into Red Bluff and I want to talk with you about how it's changed because on the podcast, the first five episodes, we've mentioned Red Bluff a lot. It's a huge character throughout my YouTube videos. Obviously we shoot 13 to 15 vlogs there every single year uh, during the winter. Bennett and I, we've mentioned it quite a lot, how prestigious Red Bluff is, the history behind the place, how tough it is to win there and the competition. And I want the viewers to hear it from someone else because we always talk about this, but like really how prestigious is Red Bluff and the history behind the place and what's that like, you know, filming there every single week? Yeah, it's every race there is pretty much a big race. Like last week was points race nine. It doesn't feel like that when you're there. It's you walk in that building and it feels like you're almost at the Chili Bowl, maybe. Yeah. Um, it's just the smell, everything about the atmosphere. Yeah, the atmosphere. It's very tense. You know, the drivers know what they have to do to make the show every week. It's really cutthroat. There's there's just really nothing like it, I, I think. Um, and over time, it's gotten probably harder and harder. You know, you won three in a row, which to some people watching this that may not know who some of those outlaw cart guys it's not easy to win three in a row there no way um some people come to red bluff with no experience and they're like i'm, I'm gonna make the a no problem and yeah. then they're in the d main yeah it's like what the heck it's just because you don't know who they are doesn't mean they're not good and not only that too i think uh tanner could probably agree on this too because uh when i got out of racing i think it was the year they started to implement the pill draw qualifying yes. So now I guess luck kind of plays into it because if you really don't hit the right pill and go out in the correct group, 
that could really hurt you and put you behind the eight ball for there's, the whole night. There's so many factors at Red Bluff, and that's uh, something to touch on. Like how things have changed over the years, not only with the racetrack, but also you know how legit Red Bluff is now. Like it's especially crazy this season. Uh, we recently had different ownership. Uh, at the racetrack within the past couple of years. And we've seen some changes at the Red Bluff Outlaws. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, for example, we now have, uh, you know, victory lane photos. You know, we yeah. have victory lane photos, podium finishers. We have checks. Uh, you know, like Bennett said, the pill draw. draw That's yeah. a big deal because, you know, you go sprint car races. There's some form of way to maybe put you in a qualifying group where at the Red Bluff Outlaws, you know, from you know, all the years I've ever ran there minus this year and the last, we literally based off of where you are in points is where you go out. So every single week, like you're pretty much, oh, I'm third in points. I know I'm going to be in the first group or I know I'm going to be in this group. And so we're starting to see a lot of changes. And I think a lot of them are for the better and legitimizing Red Bluff. I actually was going to talk about that back then. You know, you were talking about the pill draw that used to not be the case. You used to just the first point race, I believe you pill drew because there were no points yet. And then after that, if you were the points leader, there was either like a 50% invert or a 25% or yeah, something. Yeah, I think that was every like every couple races. They would like change and switch yeah. off. Yeah, so you if you're the points leader, you pretty much went out first. first or fourth group at the latest. But now like you could draw the 100 tomorrow or this weekend and you're the last car out. Yeah, hopefully you don't jinx us because it has been good to go. Well, this last weekend, actually, the track stayed gripped up throughout most of the night or throughout most of the qualifying sessions, I should say. And it really didn't matter, but that definitely plays a big factor with trying to go quick time. A lot of times we've been seeing, you know, the first or second or third group. And then after that, the track gets much slower. Yeah, the second and third group, I think, has been kind of the more dominant once it cleans off a little bit. Yeah, because they run the heat races with the box stocks and it kind of gets it dirty. So once that once that dust is cleaned off, that's when it really starts to give some character. Uh, Pistol Pete, last week, I actually think he went fourth, like second to last group. So. Yeah, he, he did go out fairly late. In uh, talking about track conditions, you know, as it's changed throughout the night, you've been filming at the Red Bluff Outlaws since 2014, right? Yeah, yeah, from in the crow's nest on the back yeah. stretch, actually. It kind of evolved over time, started out in that crow's nest, eventually made my way up to the video platform. I uh, graduated. Yeah, now you have your own platform up there. You get to set up every single week and watching from up there, you have a great view of the whole track. How, how has things really changed since, you know, maybe when you first started as far as the racing wise, I know uh, we always joke, maybe it was a little bit more brutal back then. And now how the racing is a little bit more professional and people really see Red Bluff in a different light. It definitely was back then. You know, we saw people just wrecking each other for no reason. Uh, We still kind of see that, you know, the the bad apples really don't forget their habits. But uh, yeah, Red Bluff back then, I feel like was way worse when it came to the dirty driving and stuff. But now it's actually gotten way cleaner. Uh, I know some people still say it's bad or worse or whatever, but watching all those races, it's it's definitely improved. It's not how it was when I first started. Yeah, I remember back in the day, if you recall this, so <clears throat> I think it was when Ryan first started RFC. There was the big battle between QRC and RFC and the house car drivers every main event. Yeah. I remember that's when the track was dry slick, maybe a little gripped up. You could maybe get away with an 11, but yeah. for sure a 33. And I don't know if you remember, but those house carts between QRC and RFC would go at it quite a bit back then too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we yeah. Always, we've seen the transition throughout the years of, you know, the guys coming through and, and drivers going out and now the the class that we have that we race against on a weekly basis. Yeah, exactly. It's the competitions changed over time, track conditions, just everything about Red Bluff's changed. You touched mm-hmm. on the track conditions. It's definitely with the car count we have, it's harder for them to keep, you know, moisture in the track. It's just a lot of, a lot of cars on the track, long day. Uh, we really haven't had rain this year either. So no. when, yeah, no. when it rains, it helps the track, uh, believe it or not, since it's indoors. But it does help. It gets water on the tires when they come out there. It keeps the moisture in, but we really haven't seen much of that. So there's been a lot of rubber this year, which, you know, I know the drivers probably don't like too much, but uh, there's not much they could do really with uh, how many cars they've had lately. Like back then in 2014, I think we probably had 130 cars a night. Now which was gonna, fantastic back yeah, then. That was great. Now we have 200 cars. That's never happened in Red Bluff The history. material's probably worn out a little bit because it's, yeah. you know, it's over time and it's the same stuff that we share with the, the horse people and the rodeo people. Yeah, it's it's not clay. If, uh, if you didn't know that sitting at home, uh, it's actually dirt and the horses use it to uh, barrel, barrel racing yep. and stuff like that. Yep. So they, they have to make sure the dirt is soft enough for their hoofs and clay is not soft. Yeah, but one of the cool things about that too is we have such a big car count now, as you guys can agree. And uh, like you were saying, the racing has got a lot more respectable for sure. And that's super cool to see because, uh, you know, with just a huge amount of cars, a big class, and now that we're kind of on uh, the big platform with your uh, Fast Four Media broadcasting us out to 
the whole world. Uh, everyone gets to watch highlights on been cleaning it Facebook, up sure. Instagram, Twitter, uh, get the chance to post a little bit on YouTube. And that's really one, where we want to dive into next on your story. So before fast forward media was a thing, you were actually a racer yourself. You come from a racing background and a family of racers. Can you tell us a little bit about how that journey uh, got started? Yeah, I think that's actually what kind of kickstarted this whole fast forward thing, to be honest, uh, being in the racing. Um, I'll touch on that a little more later. But yeah, my dad, when I was born, was racing 250s out at Lemoore Raceway. At the time, 600s weren't really established yet. 250s were the thing, two strokes. Um, so eventually 600s made their way into the sport. And, uh, ever since I went to Lamore and watched my dad, I just kind of had an interest in giving it a shot, got in a junior sprint at a young age and, uh, ran that for a couple of years, went up into restricted, um, uh, ran non-wing and then moved from non-wing to sprint cars. And yeah, I, I kind of sat in sprint cars there for a little bit. And then eventually fast forward, like kind of just blew up really. It's kind of crazy how it, how it what, grew over time. What were some of your local tracks? I know you mentioned Lemoore, but like with where you guys were located in the Fresno area, where were you racing at on a weekly basis? And what did that competition really look like? Primarily we would race Plaza Park Raceway. Uh, it's about 45 minutes from our house. Lemoore Raceway was too. Uh, we raced there a lot. Um, Delta Speedway and Dixon were a little further north, so we didn't really hit there much, but uh, those tracks were equally as great. Um, but Plaza Park, uh, the competition there was second to none. Same with Lemoore, because really everybody crossed over and ran the same places. But Plaza Park is more of like longer straightaways, tighter corners. It would build a curb on the fence. And uh, back then, we used to have like 50 supers on a weekly show. That's incredible. Yeah, so micros were really healthy back then. They're still pretty healthy. Uh, it's just trying to get everybody to bring their cars out. But yeah, Plaza Park, uh, I raced against, you know, the likes of Facinos, Celsies, Macedos. You know, they've all made names for themselves up in uh, higher forms of racing. So it's kind of cool to to race against those people. I wasn't quite as good as they were. So here I am uh, with Fast Four. But, uh, yeah, it was still cool to race those guys and kind of learn from the best, really. So coming up through the micro rank, I got a question for you. So me and Tanner have never had the opportunity to race a micro. And I know we'd love to. We always talk about maybe going back to Millbridge or whatnot. But uh, what's kind of the difference between a micro and an outlaw car? Because you, you've turned laps in both. Uh, could you maybe tell us a little bit like what you think the differences are? Obviously, the most generic answer, answer you'll hear is the no suspension, mm -hmm. um, which definitely plays a factor. Carts definitely are a little rougher on the body. They, uh, they bounce around and stuff if you miss your line. Like a Red Bluff, we always talk about after qualifying, if you lift before the corner, you just bounce the whole time. Yeah, you know? it's nuts. You have to stay in the throttle through that corner and then left, lift on the backstretch or you're going to hop. Well, micros, you know, they really are stable. Um, I would say they're pretty comparable to a sprint car, I, I would think. Um, they're definitely, they wing into the corner. The suspension carries the car a little bit. So when it's rough, it's not too bad, but it definitely does throw the car around. Uh, but a cart when it's rough, you know, that's, that's not a totally a very fun different ride. story. No, yeah. But that's super, that's super unique. And I know me and Tanner would love to get behind the wheel of a micro. Hopefully. Hey, I, I Sean, do know a guy with one. Hey, Sean might have to, you might have to give us some tips too. So maybe we'll have to make a trip down there. Yeah. So uh, talking about your story, you, you know, you came through the micro sprints. You obviously raced with a pretty tough class of drivers and a great time to be involved in micros. And then you transitioned to the sprint car scene. You have an older brother, Cohen Shaw, Cohen, a heck of a wheel man on the West coast and in California. Doesn't he have a driller? Yeah, it, you couldn't really ask for a better mentor there. He he won a driller in a stock non-wing at the Tulsa shootout, obviously. And uh, yeah, he just, he really made a name for himself in the micro stuff. And then we moved up to the sprint cars. So transitioning from the micros to the sprint cars, what does that look like for the Shaw family? And then also like you touched on, you know, having your brother right there along with you to kind of hold your hand in a way and, you know, show you the, show the, show you the ropes. Yeah, it's, it's really nice to have somebody to help you and you know, get you on the pathway to success. My brother had been running sprint cars years before I even thought about running one. So when I came into it, he kind of was basically my mentor and helped me out with a lot of stuff. And uh, I feel like that definitely helps. If you don't really have the help you need, you don't know what you're doing wrong. You can't really build off of that. So my brother definitely uh, was a really big part of my success in the sprint car. It, it definitely makes that transition easier because like having someone, whether it's set up, t teaching you how to drive. Uh, I know for, for myself, uh, you know, having my crew chief, Roger, you know, he really knows setup and whatnot. So it makes, it helps the learning curve for me uh, as you know, we always usually have the setup dialed in and stuff like that. Uh, can you tell us real quickly about where your first sprint car race was at? Uh, my first sprint car race, I believe was at Placerville. I know Placerville, I ran full time for a couple seasons and Placerville's tough. It builds a curb. It's got that red clay. Mm -hmm. um, I know cleaning the cars was never really fun yeah. during the week, but uh, that curb was gnarly. If you made the slightest mistake, you were pushing over the cushion or 
you know, you sometimes you could slot car around that thing, but it's not very fast. You got to keep the wheels spinning on that curb. Uh, but I kind of grew a... Uh, it's like a love for Placerville or sprint cars? Yeah, and, and I really got good at running the bottom because of that place, really, to run the bottom at Placerville, you have to park it. Oh, uh, yeah. It would be like a very narrow uh, patch of moisture down on the bottom. That You know, I was trying to carry the left front on the berm in turn three at yeah. a Red Bluff. That's kind of what you do at Placerville. Yeah. You got to keep that right rear in that moisture. Otherwise, uh, it's not wide enough for the car, so your right rear would be out in the slick. But uh, really started at Placerville, then made our way to Watsonville. I ran there quite a few seasons. So a quick question for you, and I always ask Tanner this, and we all know it's ongoing feud between Tanner and Carly. Who's the better racer, you or your brother? Uh, my brother works on my car, so I don't think I can answer that. Yeah. Um, but realistically, you know, my brother, uh, he he really got good. Uh, there, I was good at Watsonville, so... Mm-hmm realistically at Watsonville, I was probably better for a while when I actually was running full time, but Cohen really was better at other tracks. I kind of became a local hero at that one track and then we gained go, a lot of fans. Yeah. We go to Hanford and then I'm running dead last in the main <laughs> or something or flipping out of the park at silver dollars. So, um, I would say he was definitely better. Obviously he has a driller and I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I that, mean, that's pretty uh, but, uh, established. Still I can't super, say I'm better anyway. Yeah. Still super cool to be able to race with siblings though, for sure. Who's better. You or Carly. <sighs> I don't. I don't know. We'll have to let the viewers answer that one. I can't answer that. Yeah, I can't. I mean, uh, Carly. Carly helps a lot on my sprint car. Uh, Actually, we're in a similar spot, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, the biggest (laughs) thing is uh, I. I just enjoy racing with Carly, and we obviously have our strong suits. Like at Red Bluff, obviously I have more laps there, and uh, I you know I enjoy getting to compete there in in racing. So I guess at Red Bluff I'm better cycling. I mean, you could just toss up at any given night. Uh, I guess you could say we're equal, and, and we'll just see what happens. Roseburg, maybe she might yeah, have an edge Roseburg, lately. Roseburg, lately. she would tell me that she's the best because she won this last year. But it is cool because, like, you were touching on how my brother was my mentor, or I touched on that. You're kind of Carly's mentor. You know, yeah. you're really good at Red Bluff. She really doesn't have a better teacher yeah. when it comes to Red Bluff mm-hmm. than having you. 100%. Yeah, it, it's cool to, to get to help her out. And I really, I, I try to teach her everything I know. I mean, that, that place is really simple in a way once you you look at it and you and you figure things out a lot of people just overthink it and overcomplicate it and overdrive so thank you for bringing that up after your first sprint car race you get started you talked a little bit about your watsonville success uh but what are some of the series in 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 places you you ran at besides like watsonville and placerville uh occasionally i would run like civil war series back then you know that was a, a really big thing that was pretty big back then right yeah that was before sprint car challenge tour um they would usually get 40 cars i would say on a on a weekly race for the That's civil war series yeah. so back then that was definitely the superior series you had sean becker forsberg you know they were definitely the guys to beat they're the legends of yeah. sprint car racing so on the west coast for sure yeah other than that uh, i didn't run civil war too much i would just kind of hit shows like if they go to watsonville obviously i'm the local hero there yeah. i gotta defend my turf um but i would run silver dollar whenever we could that's a really long trek for us but sometimes it was worth it two-day shows you know you can't go wrong there but um, other than that, we really didn't run anywhere other than Placerville and Watsonville full time. So you, you, you've ran a good amount in the micros, the sprint car, you've turned laps in outlaw cart. And I got to ask, what's your favorite out of the three? Uh, it's tough. Um, they're all really fun. Obviously, you know, I'll run a, a flat cart with a clone on the side, you know, yeah. and have a blast. But, uh, the, the sprint car was really fun. The micro was really fun. I ran those a lot though. So mm. I kind of, you know, grew comfortable in them and the cart to me is probably the funnest because it's mysterious to me. Like I, I don't really, I'm still learning. It's yeah. a new like, challenge. Yeah. Like right. I, I wasn't the best micro or sprint car driver, but like the car is just something completely out of my comfort zone. Uh, there's no suspension. The cage moves like it's all just trippy at, at first, but the more I've ran it, I've got more comfortable racing's like riding a bike. You kind of, you have it once you acquire it. And yeah. then, uh, so, you know, the cart, you just gotta be smart not plug it in the fence and yeah. realistically you'll just you'll learn over time Speak, cool. speaking of being uncomfortable one of the things actually i i when i hear kyler shaw as a sprint car driver i think of you more as a non-wing guy and that's definitely something that is out of your comfort zone i know a wing it's like a pillow on top we always talk about um there's a little safety in that but talk about you know racing non-wing at an early point in your sprint car career and i believe i mean correct me if i'm wrong you you like non-wing more than wing yeah i do uh i ran wing way more than i ran non-wing i think my success in non-wing is why i like it more and it's also tougher you know the the wing car is a lot about wing speed keeping momentum up and you know really nailing the setup um but the 
the interesting thing too is with a wing you could roll it back you know if, if your car starts to fade away toward the end but non-wing you either have to change as a driver or you're just screwed yeah so, um i actually only have maybe 10 non-wing starts and i had pretty decent success in it i mo mostly ran with the 410s with a 360 so i was down on power uh, but that was probably for my own safety. That's if an I, uphill battle. If I ran a 410, I'd probably fly out of the box. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I've never actually ran a 410 in general, uh, even in a wing car. But non-wing definitely had success there. It hurts when you flip. I will oh, say I that. Bet. that yeah. pillow on the wing definitely makes a difference. I didn't really flip very big in the non-wing car, but I landed on the cage and it rung my bell. But um, it, I definitely enjoy it more. It's it's just a shame there's not really places to run it. You uh, There's the USAC West Coast 360s, but it's a traveling series if you don't really want to leave home. Um, with my schedule, it's kind of tough to want to go travel yeah. now, um, maybe five races a year under my belt. So mm -hmm. it's, it's tough to go do that. So typically we'll just go run Watsonville and put the wing back on. So now that the viewers know a little bit about your sprint car career, let's talk about some of your success and specifically at Watsonville, the ocean speedway, you mentioned it earlier. That was one of your best racetracks. Can you kind of touch on why that was one of your best racetracks and some of your highlight moments? Success. I don't know if I had much of that, but, uh, Watsonville, I was actually the dash man there for a little bit. I never won a race, which is unfortunate, but it's really hard to win a sprint car race. Especially oh, absolutely. When I was running Watsonville, Justin Sanders and Shane Golubic were actually weekly competition there. And I mean, they've grown to be some of the best drivers, you know, alive right now. So um, what years were that? What years were you competing there mainly? Uh, I want to say probably 2015, 2016 when I first started videoing. But then over time, fast forward grew to the point where I couldn't race. Yeah. At, you know, professionally, if you want to call it that anymore. But uh, yeah, they at Watsonville, they used to call me the dash man. I won three dashes in a row. Luck of the draw. I drew the two, and you know about that. Yeah. If you have the outside front row, you're guaranteed to lead into turn one, especially at a place like that where the corners are so tight. Uh, usually it's pretty narrow, like in the dash, so the momentum always wins there. And I always joke that there was a couple dashes Justin Sanders ran second to me. I think he did it on purpose so he would have lane choice for the feature. He's like, screw this dash. I want to win the race. But you were just pumped about winning yeah, the dash. I was dash. like, dude, I won the dash six laps, man. I'm a hero. Um, no, not really. But they call me the dash man because I won those dashes. They actually called me that after the third dash. And then the fourth dash, I finally screwed up my pill draw. I drew like a seven. I was just riding around in the back. I biked up and flipped. So <laughs> went out with a bang. I think they jinxed me because they called me dash man. Like, uh, it's just convenient timing for that to happen. But... Yeah, Watsonville, uh, I was pretty successful there, I would say. I had a couple, I had a second place finish there by virtue of a wreck, um, but I was in position to win that. So uh, in order to win a race, you got to put yourself in position. And uh, if you're lucky and, you know, lucky. Isn't that where the top two got together? Yeah, and Justin and Shane were actually racing. They had a little bit of a rivalry at, the, at that time. And I was like running third, like a half a track behind. And all of a sudden, like I go into turn one and they're both off the track and I'm like, no way. Like there was one lap to go. I'm like, dude, don't throw the yellow. I'm about to win my first sprint car race. They threw the yellow. Justin kept his engine running, but Shane he was stalled. out there doing like what Brody's out. Yeah. He, yeah. Shane stalled his engine. So obviously he had to go to the back. Shane, uh, Justin kept his run and he got his spot back, literally left me in one lap. But, uh, yeah, that was probably the closest I ever got to winning, uh, at Watsonville, but it's, it's really tough. So I, I, other than those dashes, really nothing to talk about with success. Another so story I've heard you tell before, you took the back row challenge one time. That's something you offer at the Red Bluff Outlaws now, which kind of adds some, uh, you know, makes it more interesting uh, yeah. there on a weekly basis. Can you tell about the one time when you took the back row challenge at the Ocean Speedway? Yeah, I, I actually kind of forgot about that. Um, I was sick of losing from the front row. It, there's no worse feeling. You would, you could probably agree. Maybe you yeah. could agree. Yeah. If you start it. on the pole and finish seventh, it sucks. Like if you run second from the pole, it sucks. Well, I wouldn't know. I, I, I think me and Tanner can both agree on this. Cause I think there's a wall there in two fifties. Me and Tanner were like, we kind of prefer to start maybe second row yeah, or maybe third row, just because when you're on the front row, you have expectation. Like you, you're already you got to get out you front. Lose. You got to get out front and set the pace right. and you got to show everyone, you know, where the fast line is versus when you're, you know, second or second row, third row, fourth row, you can see what the leaders are doing and kind of change up what you're doing and find something because you can search. When you're leading, it's kind of hard to search because you're just yeah. on such a rampage to get as far out front it's as kinda, possible. It's kind of funny. Just like on iRacing, I hate being first. Yeah. Like I'd rather be second you're, or fourth or third. Yeah. yeah, I hate it. Uh, so yeah, anyway, I was sick of losing from the front row. So I decided they had that back row challenge, I think the whole time. But mm. you know, I was like, this is my best chance to win. And then, you know, they crushed my confidence by losing all those races. So I was like, screw it. We're going to the back. Yeah. And that was actually probably the one time I had a car that was capable of winning. But imagine that. Um, I went from like, 
I think there was only 18 cars, so that's why I kind of took it. You know, yeah. it's not a full field, so that that helps. Helps for sure. Yeah. Um, so I I was charging. I found the rubber. I went from like 18th to fourth, and then unfortunately someone got in the back of me and turned me, and that ended that. Oh, and it was that. my friend too, so I couldn't be mad at him. <laughs> yeah, it, it was just like whatever, you know. I, it is what it is. But uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty fun deal, and honestly, that probably kind of kickstarted the back row challenge at Red Bluff. I think it's something the fans really can uh, enjoy, you know, if if the racing gets kind of strung out, look back and watch where that dude's going and see um, how much progress he's made. And that's really kind of put um, a prestigious level to Red Bluff just to prove that everyone that's taken the front row and gone to the back still hasn't even gone closest. Well, I think Trace got up to third, but then due to some uh, technical yeah. issues, uh, the second place car got disqualified and they, he got second. But other than that, that's how difficult Red Bluff is. Like, uh, just we've been watching so many great drivers like Casey McLean, Ryan Foster, yeah. like phenomenal drivers take the back row challenge and they just come up short. And that's just how difficult Red Bluff really is. And if, if you're watching at home and you don't know about the back row challenge, it actually pays seven grand to go from last to first at Red Bluffs. Plus whatever it went, pays yeah. to win now, which the, the... So I think it's like 7,500. For mm -hmm. a weekly show, yeah. Yes. Like, yeah. So if you go to the back and win the Vern Wheeler Memorial this weekend... It's it, 9,100. Yeah, that's a lot of that's money at the Red Bluff Outlaws. That's parts. a lot of money for a go-kart race. You can go and buy a brand new, complete, almost ready-to-rip go-kart yeah. you know, yeah. for that price. You could junk your car after doing uh, donuts <laughs> or something and go buy a new one. But uh, yeah, uh, the back row challenge is uh, definitely something that I am proud of. Uh, it's all my money, so hopefully <laughs> yeah. no one does win it, but it, I won't complain if someone does. You know, yeah. I really want a spectacle for the fans. If you happen to be there that night, witness that. You just witnessed something incredible. That's super cool to watch for sure, and thank you for putting up that money. Yes. Yeah, it, it's honestly, it's it's been a good deal for me. I get all that advertising out of it. The Back Row Challenge has been here for three years or something now, yeah. so mm -hmm. all those years, you know, it's the Fast 4 Media Back Row Challenge, and no one's won it, so it's like free advertising, basically, until mm -hmm. someone does win it, but... Um, yeah, it, it's totally possible. Yeah, that, that's a great segue actually into what we want to talk about next with you. We talked about your sprint car racing and how you got started, but what about Fast 4? How did Fast 4 Media kind of come to be and when that all got started so many years ago? Yeah, so Red Bluff has kind of been my baby, I like to call it. Obviously, it's not, but um, when I was first kind of testing the waters with video, uh, I started in photography in 2013. Uh, it wasn't really profitable. I needed to do something to make money. Um, Honestly, the way it came about, I really wasn't doing it for money, and it just kind of worked that way. Um, I was doing the photography. I gave up on that in 2015, and I had a bunch of friends like Logan CV, James Edens. I was friends with those guys at the time, and uh, they were on this thing called TeamSpeak, so we would always talk on there, but I never actually met them face-to-face. It's kind of like mm -hmm. Discord, yeah. Um, if you've never heard of TeamSpeak, but... Uh, they convinced me to come to Red Bluff one time. I uh, believe Caleb Henry met me in Sacramento and I rode the rest of the way with him. He took me to Red Bluff and I checked it out and I was like, man, this is crazy. Like I, I've got to come video here more often. And plus my friends were already there. So that always helps, you know, when you have friends. And Red Bluff had zero coverage at the time. Like if you were just a guy, if I was posting my vlogs in 2014, like that would have maybe been some of the only video people wouldn't even, you know, record with their cell phone in post like it was crazy the the amount of coverage red bluff didn't have well and some of those videos from back then when i so when i first started in video i filmed in the crow's nest on the backstretch like not not the best videoing because that was my first time so it honestly looked like some mom in the grandstands you yeah know, with her phone or something with but, a little bit better camera yeah yeah it was actually a really good kid it's the one i did the the slow-mo with uh, yeah, on sunday oh, gotcha. but um yeah it, it was not very professional but it got a ton of views because people were like what is this like I've never seen this before. It's kind of mm -hmm. like if you're like on YouTube, just browsing and you see like yeah. rally cross, you're like, wow, that is insane. Yeah. Like these people saw red bluff and they're wheeling, they're dooring each other, but they don't wreck. It was brutal back then. Yeah. Even. Like back then people were dooring each other and they wouldn't wreck. Um, the, obviously there would be some wrecks if you get hooked up just right. But if you hit someone in the nerf bar, you can knock them out of the way and just keep on going. Yeah. So when you first started filming at the Red Bluff Outlaws, you actually weren't going live. You were on the back straightaway there just shooting highlight clips. How did that transition from that to actually doing live streaming and now closer to your current setup you have today? Yeah, so like I talked about, my friends convinced me to go uh, video Red Bluff. I was just going up there to film. Uh, broadcasting, actually, the way it came up was uh, interesting. I never even thought about it. It was just one of those things that kind of popped up because my friends, and now here we are. But getting to that, uh, I did the filming on the backstretch and people were like, man, this is cool. We need to somehow like get this out even further. 
uh, if people could watch the race live, which at the time live broadcasting was still kind of new. To yes, people. very new. Um, like even me running at Watsonville, we really did. We we had a video guy, but there was no live coverage because it was really hard to do at the time. Cell service was spotty, especially at Watsonville. It's basically in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I had friends talk to me after the race and they're like, dude, this is sick. You actually need to figure out how to try and broadcast this and make it free so people can, you know, check it out. Maybe come watch, buy a cart, whatever. Um, so I was like, man, I need to buy a tripod, a, a, you know, a nice camera to actually take up there. And so I did that. And for a couple races, I was trying to brainstorm how I would make it all happen. So I was just shooting more tape delayed footage. But then I had the bright idea of let's do West Coast Nationals live. Like one of the bigger races. At let's, the time, probably the biggest race in Outlaw yeah. Carts. Yeah. My first ever broadcast, West Coast Nationals. I think you asked that earlier. I, I just remembered it was West Coast Nationals. Um, I went on a website. They were like, Here's a streaming platform. I didn't really research too much of it at the time. I was still kind of computer illiterate over time. You know, the more I've done this. Gain knowledge. I, yeah, I've got a lot of knowledge now. But I was like, perfect. Like, turnkey solution. Let's do this. I broadcasted West Coast Nationals. It was free. I may have had to pay a couple bucks, but it wasn't much. I did the broadcast. I was like, awesome. Everything went great. I think we had like 500 viewers at one point, which wow. is really That's good. You know, yeah. considering That's... that was the first broadcast. But then I get an email and it said, I, you know, West Coast Nationals is an all-day thing. Yes. And I believe that was the first year they added the third day. So that was a lot of streaming hours. So they, yeah. the platform I used had this thing called streaming hours per viewer or something like that. So one person watching for one hour was one streaming hour. Mm -hmm. Well, their limit was like 800 streaming hours. Well, I had 500 people watching. Yeah. yeah. It went way over. And they were trying to charge me a ton of money. And it just kind of disappeared. Like, I don't know if the company went out of business <laughs> or what. But I lucked out there. Already started out on the wrong foot. Yeah. I was pumped that we got it broadcasted, but then I was like, dude, I do not have the money to pay for this. I, yeah. I want to say it was like eight grand or something. That's nuts. Like, dude, I'm a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can't. Fresh out of high school, just trying to film. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just doing what my friends were asking me to do. And, uh, you know, I kind of got screwed there, but it just went away. I, yeah. they never contacted me again about, about it. So it, I got kind of lucky there. And then I was like, all right, we need to figure out how to do this without, Issues like yeah, this yeah. coming Absolutely. up. So when you mentioned that, what are some of your other like trials that you went through, you know, starting video, you said you had to learn everything. I mean, this stuff is not easy. All these cameras, uh, learning that settings, you know, also hooking that to go live so people can watch and not have any issues. What were some of your uh, trials and tribulations you went through when you started? Yeah, like I touched on, uh, broadcasting was way harder back then. I feel like now you could buy, so like I do Cycleland, there's actually this box, probably this big, you just plug it into the camera and boom, you're good. Yeah. Uh, my setup's a little more complicated than that still, but. To do overlays and all that. Yeah, because the box is just a clean feed. You can't put graphics, no videos, nothing. So it's it's kind of boring. But mm -hmm. uh, back then it was harder. There wasn't all these companies established yet. There really wasn't a market for it yet. Like people were just kind of like, man, this is cool, but like whatever. Yeah. Uh, but then it grew over time. Uh, so I actually had really complicated equipment. It was like this box this big. Um, it was a big heavy case. It had like a computer, uh, like a, a computer tower. Um, and then it had this switcher and it was in a foam padded box. box yeah. But that box was so heavy. Like you literally carry that up the stairs at Red Bluff. Like you need a, a nap. Like, <laughs> it was so heavy. I'm glad I finally got away from that thing. It was a, it was a pain, but, uh, the trials and tribulations, with that, you know, there's so many pieces of equipment, it's something's bound to go wrong. And at, at the time, technology's gotten better. You know, there's not really that human error anymore in, uh, in technology with cameras and stuff. But like at the time, I would have a cable go bad. Like, what are the odds yeah. on yeah. race day? Got to go to Best Buy and get it fixed. Well, which at the time, Best Buy really didn't carry that stuff because yeah. they're like, what's broadcasting? Like, yeah. yeah. I would go there and I'd be like, hey, I need an XLR cable. What is that? That's <laughs> literally this cable right here. But, uh, yeah, some trials and tribulations back then. Internet wasn't as good either. So yeah. I would actually like stream at Red Bluff and internet would drop. Uh, there was actually a time where, where the power went out. And the, I remember that. And that was during an open race too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they had to bring in a generator, I believe, um, mm -hmm. or the power just came back on. Yeah. But uh, that kind of led the way to me getting a UPS backup uh, battery. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when the power goes out, it still runs for about five minutes because mm -hmm. it's on battery. So it gives me enough time to like, hey, the stream's going to go down, you know, yeah. don't, don't freak out. We'll be back. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but it's just little things like that. That was always in the back of my head. Like I would show up on race day nervous, probably as nervous as you to race. Yeah. Uh, because I'm like, Oh great. What's going to go wrong today. Um, but then over time things got 
easier and easier. And now, it, I mean, nine point races at Red Bluff. Hopefully, I don't jinx it. There hasn't been a single issue. Mm-hmm. The burst race, I had a couple things to iron out. I think it was just computer error. Uh, then they did a Windows update, and it never happened again. Um, so that may not even been my fault. But still, you know, when something goes wrong, it's on me. I have yeah. to refund the customers. Yeah. It doesn't really matter what happened. It's if the stream doesn't finish, it's on me. Yeah. hundred percent. And that actually leads to me talking about the outlaw cart showcase. So 2015 first ever cart outlaw cart, first showcase. ever outlaw cart showcase. Kyle Larson obviously is there. It was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, they selected me to be the broadcasting provider cause I did cycle So they were like, you know, why go for someone else? You're the guy you do cycle We feel like we owe it to you, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I did it. We uh, made it through most of the night, but I was so nervous about internet that I actually had an internet company come and install a dish up there on the uh-huh. roof. Um, so that way, internet was not an issue. Because with that many people, the more people on the property, the more bandwidth gets used. Yeah. So I had internet installed. There was an ungrounded power outlet that they plugged into. No. Um, the power grid was so overloaded during like the F main or something. Uh, the power surged. I didn't have a surge protector at the time or it was very poor and it didn't work. That ungrounded outlet shot electricity through all my equipment, fried everything. My computer caught on fire, actually. <laughs> and <laughs> no I way. was just like, unbelievable. Like the biggest race, probably, well, at the uh, time, ever. definitely yeah. my biggest race. Pay, yeah, like there was, there, the amount of people that were there was insane. There was 200 opens. Yeah. 200. Just you, in the open class. Red Bluff, there's 200 cars total. Yeah. So that like, that speaks volume of how big the first showcase was, and I messed it up. You had NASCAR drivers there, sprint car drivers, a whole nine yards. Yeah, and honestly, that was almost the end. Like, I was like, this is dumb. Why am I doing this? Um, but, you know, you, you just can't quit. Um, mm-hmm. And now there was a point in broadcasting where I was like, man, I wish I could just go th- one night without an issue. And here we are, nine races yeah. without an issue. And I, I kind of overlooked that. But looking back on it now, it was like, man, there was actually like a really rough time in my career of broadcasting that it was like, I almost just stopped. Yeah. yeah. Thank goodness you didn't. And one thing too, that uh, we need to mention here, because I think we owe it to <clears throat> you are the only one, you're the owner, the operator, everything you did it all yourself, all that equipment. I remember at a young age watching you uh, park your truck and bring all that equipment in to load it up at the early stages, fast forward media, at red bluff. Oh, red bluff. yeah. Yeah. Red bluff. And I was like, that's a lot. And it's, it's thanks all to you. So thank you for, uh, continuing to do all that for sure. And can you touch on that a little bit? Like what's a, what's a race weekend look like for you? But particularly like you could talk about the Red Bluff Outlaws. I know every track's different, but that's one place where you go to over and over again since Bennett mentioned, I mean, you are the guy, you're the fast four media. You're not just hired by someone up top to, to do it. Uh, you do everything. So can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like and uh, how you, you know, function throughout the day? Yeah, there's multiple things to touch on here. First of all, I'm 24 years old. I'm pretty young. Uh, kind of old, but not too old. Yeah. Um, most of these tracks I go to, they're actually like, are you the video guy they hired? And I'm like, no, I'm the guy that owns this. Yeah. And they're like, dude, you look like you're 12. Like <laughs> yeah. if I shave, I look like I'm 12. Yeah. So, um, definitely that, you know, it, I, I owe that to my dad, um, generations of owning a business. Definitely. It, it runs genetically, I feel like, or, you know, you're just taught it. Yeah. Um, but my grandpa owned a, uh, steel building company. They built steel buildings. There's actually a lot of buildings in the central Valley that are from my grandpa. So, uh, you know, that entrepreneurial mindset has always been, you know, in our family. So my dad was a really good teacher. And then I got that from him, the never quit attitude, you know, when things are going tough, you know, steel buildings, sometimes people just don't want them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, things get hairy sometimes, but, um, onto the next thing, I am the one man show. Uh, so when I show up to cycle in, like I don't have help, you know about that ladder. Yep. That yep. ladder is sketchy. It's, yeah, it's not um, good. And there's really no good way to get the equipment up there. I have to carry one hand and climb the ladder with the other. Like one day you may see me fall off that ladder. Cyclone's a tall, a tall, tall uh, scoring tower for sure. Too. Yeah, it's two cargo trains stacked on each other. So if you know the dimensions of a cargo train, just imagine two of them stacked on yeah. each other. There's a ladder that goes up the side, and that ladder starts flexing like a top field dragster when yeah. you're not halfway <laughs> up it. And, uh, I know some people that are actually too scared to climb the ladder with nothing in their hands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
you know. So you carry all your equipment up there. You do similar thing for Red Bluff just to the top of the stands. And that's kind of how you get your day started. Yeah. And actually Red Bluff is one of the easier setups since we have, since I filmed the whole season there, I just leave a lot of the cables there. They run outside the booth. They're just zip tied to the bleachers. So that really helps. That's less setting up. I have to do by a mile. The cables mm -hmm. is the hardest part, I would say, just because, uh, you know, it's so time consuming. Yeah. So when that's done, that's, it's really easy from there. I just carry all the equipment up. It's all in smaller boxes, so it's not too heavy. Sometimes I'll even just be like, hey, can you help me real quick? I don't even know who he is, but yeah, uh, I'll, you know, ask for some help. But um, I get all the equipment up there, you know, set up the tripod, uh, set up the, the broadcasting unit, get it all turned on, make sure everything's working. Once that's done, I actually, so at Red Bluff, I wake up at eight in the morning yeah we don't start till noon so that gives me four hours so you're setting up at eight and i'm still asleep at home yeah yeah, yeah. you probably your car might still be dirty like you're <laughs> barely washing it in the yeah, morning pretty I'm, all, much. I'm all prepared and set up but uh yeah i get up at eight in the morning i don't have to but i just really want to be prepared nothing go mm -hmm. wrong um usually by nine o'clock everything's set up ready to go and then i'll go in the pits take pictures uh if you follow fast forward you see the pictures uh, on uh, social media yeah. i take those I work the technical support. If you've ever watched a stream and had an issue, you're texting me. Um, <laughs> Quick mention, I was stoked when you took a picture of me in the opens for the Fast 4 page. Yeah, that's that actually kind of became yeah. like a, something every open driver, they want to be the cover of Fast 4 for that points race. Yeah. yeah, and I try not to put the same driver on there twice, but sometimes I'll have someone be like, hey, dude, put me on the Instagram. I need some clout. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I can't. I already posted you. But um, yeah, I, I run the tech support. I do social media. I'm the camera guy. Um, and then I also run the streams. So like the graphics that are on there, I do that. The instant uh, replays. Yeah. The replays, it's, it's kind of a, a ghetto way to do it, but it works. Mm -hmm. If you're watching the broadcasts, it looks very professional. I welcome you to come stand next to me and see that it's not, but, um, that's just, you know, lots of setting up during the week, just like yeah. your race car, you know, yeah. mm -hmm. broadcasting. It's a lot about sitting at home, making sure everything is ready to go. And with the wide view too. Yeah. The, the wide, wide view, view is a awesome. new thing that I had to actually can you tell all, the uh, tell all the viewers that don't know that maybe haven't seen the stream, what's the wide view? Yeah, so the wide view is all these years, like when you watch any broadcast, it's just mainly the one camera or they have multiple cameras that they switch to. Yep. Well, I am more of a grassroots level. So when you watch like the World of Outlaws, you want to watch Donnie shots, you want to watch Brad Sweet. You don't really yeah. care about the people at the back. Right. But I have grandparents, parents that watch my stream. They want to see their kid if they're not in the camera view. Mm -hmm. um, so the wide view was kind of an idea. I brainstormed this last year. I was like, if I can somehow put my camera on there and also have a wide view that shows the whole track, there will nobody can complain. Yep. Like, yeah. What what can you complain about if I show you the whole track? Mm -hmm. uh, it's no different than being there, um, except you're nice and warm or cold yeah. if it's summertime in your house. So the wide view shows the whole track down at the bottom of the screen. If you've never watched a fast four stream, you could see anybody on the track, no matter what I'm watching on the camera. And there's also a scoring ticker on the left side. So you yeah. can see positions, lap times, and or if, the gap. If some dude wrecks in 14th place, yeah. we know what happens. Or if there's a battle for the, well, usually you're watching the battle for the transfer spots, but things like that, you know, if you're not videoing, we still at least get to know what happens versus maybe two years ago, you know, some dude could have literally, some dude could have literally flipped and hit the ceiling and we would not have <laughs> yeah. known if you wouldn't have had it exactly. on camera. So that, that was part of that. I don't want to miss anything. Um, so the wide view was meant to basically let you watch anybody on the track or if you're more about the professional broadcast look, you can look at my camera and what I follow, mm -hmm. just follow the race along. Um, so it's really working for the best of both worlds here uh, to give you either, you know, watch what I watch or watch your kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, that's just the, evol the evolution of, you know, fast forward. I listen to the customers. If, if you tell me to put what classes on the track, I actually just started doing that. I got a couple texts from people hey, we don't know what classes these are. Mm -hmm. Like, we're just wanting to watch our kid. Can you please put the class on there? And I'm like, yeah. So That's the next cool, week, yeah. I put the class on there. If you watch the replay from this last weekend, it'll say beginner box heat races or box stock heat races, something like that. So keep texting the Shaw support line. Yeah, if it's, it. if it's reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's some things I can't do. You know, the wide view, that was actually kind of a struggle. Yeah. Like, Cycling is a little too big, so if I angle it toward one side of the track, you really can't see the other. Mm -hmm. So, like... If I put it towards turns three and four, you really can't see one and two, but you can yeah. see the straightaways. So yeah. uh, it's not perfect, but I definitely want to give people an option. Yeah, no, that's cool.
So as we get towards the end of wrapping up this podcast, I got an important question for you, Kyler. Who is someone that has really been uh, influential in helping build the Fast Four Media brand? There's a lot of people, probably more than I can remember or name, but uh, obviously the promoters have really gave me a place to broadcast, and I really appreciate that. But one name that really sticks out that's been with me since day one is Jimmy Elledge. He's let me slept on his couch since day one. He saw yeah. me struggling, um, so you know he lent his hand out to me to give me some advice and he's the owner of QRC Carts, and they're pretty successful. So his business owner mindset really helped me when things were tough or if I just needed advice. Uh, and he's a really great friend, your car owner, like I said. And uh, yeah, Jimmy is uh, probably the, the guy that's been there for me ever since the start and continues to be there for me. That's great to hear. And I, I would agree with you 100%. I mean, when you first started broadcasting and going live at Red Bluff, uh, Jimmy was the first guy to obviously hop on board because Red Bluff needed that coverage and needed to have someone there every week to, you know, give everyone the show that we put on. And uh, like you mentioned, I'm super close with Jimmy as well. And uh, just super thankful for what he does for Outlaw Carts because he puts so many people before himself. Uh, you know, and, and giving us all such great opportunities. Another thing to mention is now that you've gotten a lot of support from everyone else and Fast Four Media is growing, it's becoming bigger and bigger, you are now starting to support drivers. I got a list here. We have Carson Perkins at the Red Bluff Outlaws, uh, Carson Souza as well, Joe B. Miller, the and then right here. yeah, Joe B. Miller's t-shirt. And then you're also on the 18T Sprint car. What's behind, you know, now supporting drivers and having your logo on someone else's car? Yeah, it, over time, it's... In the beginning, I really didn't have anybody running my logo, so I was just kind of videoing without purpose. Uh, but I wanted to get out and help some people and uh, also in the process get my logo on some cars, you know, having it on Carson Perkins at the Red Bluff Outlaws. Unfortunately, he's your rival. Yeah, right, right now, now we're for battling. The, for the points lead. But uh, either way, no matter who wins here in this championship, it'll it's great for me because, you know, I support you as well. So, uh yeah, it's just great to see the logo running around the track. I'm sure it might be helping put my name out there. Uh, yeah. There's no real way to know, but I just like to really support some of these drivers. And also, it gives me someone to cheer for. It, it's well, and, and not even talking about outlaw carts. I know when you travel to the Midwest, like just as much as you stay at, like uh, you mentioned, Jimmy's house. Like when you go back there, you're a driver, Joby Miller. You stay at his shop. You get to hang out with those guys and form that relationship. Yeah, Joby's a really good guy, and uh, he's one of the most prolific drivers in the micro community. Uh, you don't see him wrecking people. He's really clean. Um, he's also really good. So uh, that's definitely somebody I wanted to partner with. I know he, you know, won't represent me wrong. And uh, same with you, Perkins, Souza. You guys all represent the company very well. I don't want somebody representing the company that's going to do things that are malicious. Right. Absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. What's next for Fast Four Media uh, in 2021? And what's your schedule look a little bit like? Uh, schedule's about the same as always. I do the the micro races back east. Uh, I'm trying to get cycling covered to do two races in one night, but also just get the coverage uh, for Outlaw. Cars. What are some of your big micro races? Uh, the High Banks Hustle. Um, that one is really well known and it's really grown prestige more and more every year. Uh, the non-wing world championship it just started up a couple of years ago i believe this is the fourth annual one coming up uh that one's really gotten prestigious over time they get over 100 cars just like the hustle uh, and it's non-wing i love non-wing so um the terry sprague memorial that's another one that's the same track as the high banks hustle but it is non-wing so mm -hmm. uh, that one's a good one as well um california speed week that's a really great event west coast nationals uh the outlaw cart showcase just there's so many events uh that i'm probably forgetting but those are some of the top ones. That's great to hear. Uh, real quick, before we wrap it up and talk a little bit more about yourself and where everyone can find you, Bennett, do you want to hit us with a fan question? Yeah, so uh, today's fan question is actually is a pretty good one, and it comes from Thomas underscore 5.56, and he asks, what's been your worst crash? And to add on to this, I want to add what has been kind of a crash that you look back on, you're like, this was dumb, this was silly, I shouldn't have even done that, so... Uh, Go, we'll let Kyler we'll go, go ahead and start we'll go with right this, to yeah. left here. Well, there was a crash that really rung my bell. Uh, I was at Watsonville, and there's a story behind this. Uh, I'll try to keep it short, but my brother was out there qualifying, and I was sitting in staging, and my brother had flipped um, right before I was about to qualify, and I didn't really know it was him until later. Well, John Golovic walked up to me, and you know we bumped knuckles or whatever, and I turned my head, and he noticed that I didn't have my hybrid on, which is a neck restraint. Uh, so my head was basically not restrained at all. <laughs> no, no. Uh, so yeah, imagine what's going to happen next. Um, so I was sitting in staging and he's like, you don't wear your hybrid. And I'm like, no, it's just qualifying. Like yeah. what's going to go wrong. I'm by myself. Well, 
I ate those words. Yeah. Uh, pushed me out for qualifying after I found out my brother flipped, you know, whatever. I thought maybe he just made a mistake. Well, it turns out we had some parts that were uh, faulty and uh, it was actually in the drag link, which is what steers a sprint car. And uh, the warm-up lap of qualifying, my drag link broke and <laughs> no steering. Um, you can't really slow those things down. They're no, tanks. So not at all. I was on the brakes. I let, let off the throttle, but that's you just really can't do too much there. I ramped off the banking, hit a tractor <laughs> in the pits. I actually landed probably six feet from someone's pit area. Thankfully, no one wow. was hurt. But uh, except Your neck me. was probably destroyed. Yeah, I was yeah. hurt, but nobody else was, thankfully. Um, but yeah, that one was really, that one really rung my bell. And mm-hmm. obviously since I didn't have the neck restraint, restraint, my neck hurt. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, my, I, my chin, I think hit the steering wheel. I don't really know. Yeah. Cause I had my eyes closed. No boy, no. So I'll go on now with mine and make it short. Uh, it actually was my fourth race out in the factory QRC cart. I was running for Jimmy and I was stoked. We just actually came off a win my third night out. I got my first open win at the Red Bluff Outlaws. And this all is on a vlog. That's what's so great. You can look back. Uh, I'll have some footage playing up on the on the podcast right now. But I was going down the back, or I was going down the front straightaway, I should say. I was one lap down. I didn't know I was a lap down, or, or I didn't know I was a lap down originally because I had actually my steering column broke, so I had no steering. I pulled into the infield. I actually went a lap or two down, and then I finally got it fixed. But no one ever told me that until the end. So I didn't want to just pull off, even though my B main event was over because it was a B six transferred. Uh, but I just kind of wanted to at least finish the race. Cause I didn't want a bad look for QRC by just like, I guess, giving up, you could say. And I was going back and forth on what to do in my head. And finally I just took off in the poor three W of Richard Westine. Uh, he lane changed because he didn't know I was out there. And I literally ramped over his right rear and, and flipped four or five times down the front straightaway and absolutely wore out a house cart. So, uh, I wasn't sure if my seat was coming out of the car after the night or not, but, uh, thankfully it did it. And, and, you know, we have that great relationship with QRC and, and now we are where we're at and, and that's just where we started. And I was actually there and caught that on video. Yes. Yeah. Literally yeah, would, wore it out for last place. It was a big wreck. It was, it was not a little wreck. So that that's uh that's my funny story. Yeah, that's no bueno. Uh, Shaw knows this one for sure. This has been broadcasted. Uh, one time I was coming out of turn two in a heat race, and uh, I don't really I don't remember who it was, but they dropped a motor right in front of me, and Tyler I'm coming McCain. out too. Yeah, Tyler McCain. And uh, the way I did same thing Tanner did left front right over the right rear, and I hopped, and the way I landed was like on my side. And it's on video. My ear touches the tip of my shoulder because I did not have a full <laughs> containment seat. I only had my Hans for a front impact and then the half. So that's why I woke up the next morning, neck stiff. I, I'm sore. I can't move. And I was like, that's why from here on out, I'm going to live and die by the full containment seat. So we got the full containment seat for that reason. But uh, as you can say, see, uh, you'll show a video here. Uh, that was probably no bueno for sure. No good on the neck. No. A real question. A question here. Yeah. Does your neck still hurt to this day? Yeah. Uh, it does. Yeah. It, it's it's not fully recovered. But uh, for the funny, like kind of a funny little story here. Also, uh, remember the fair race? They oh used yeah. To do so before the Red Bluff Outlaws season, they would do a race at the the rodeo grounds at Red Bluff, which is like kind of right across the way. Well, my dad used uh, Maria Kofer's dad, John Kofer's uh, air gauge to do my tire pressures. And then literally I go out there for 250 like hot laps. First corner, we have reverse stagger and I turn it in there and there's no banking. It's kind of like silver dollar for carts. Like it just rolls off. We just tip it up and over and Flip we're right out of the, the track. track. For the first race of the season, I'm like, well, this is a great So start, don't use someone else's air gauge. Do that not might be wrong. Because <laughs> it's not going to be the same. So note self, always wear a full containment seat or always use full containment. Always wear yeah. a head and neck, head and neck restraint and uh, use your own equipment. And if you're a lap down, you should probably just pull, pull off, off realistically. Track, yeah. So, uh, Kyler, before we completely end this interview, first off, thank you. Where can uh, they find Fast Four Media? I know right now is actually a good time to look into it if you want to tune into the rest of the Red Bluff Outlaws. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Platinum membership is something we just introduced on the Fast Four Media. It's, uh, it's a membership that when you have it, you can watch any race in that time period. Uh, if you buy a platinum membership for a month right now for thirty dollars. Yeah, thirty dollars. You cannot beat this. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. Can you even get in the Red Bluff Outlaws for thirty dollars? No way. Twenty five no. bucks for one. Unless race. you jump over the back <laughs> gate, maybe, <laughs> uh, which probably happens. But uh, thirty dollars, you could watch the rest of the races. There's three more point races, and then four days of West Coast Nationals. Yeah. You are stealing my money if you do that. Um, but yeah, it's a really good deal. We did that to uh, make it more affordable. We want coverage uh, to get out there. We want people to watch Outlaw Carts. Only $30. Go ahead and get that. We'll put a link down yep. here in the bio. 
Um, you could get your membership today. And a and, link to all your social medias. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, even TikTok. You never know what we'll post on there. I'm going to try and follow some trends. Yeah. And these guys are TikTok legends. So yeah. we're going to try and uh, learn from them and maybe get some funny stuff up on there. Well, that's awesome. I 100% go and recommend you check out Fast 4 Media. They support me and we really like for you guys to support them. Anyway, Kyler, thank you for having or thank you for coming on the show and being in studio. This is going to uh, wrap up episode number six here of Off the Track. Yeah. If you guys thank want, you. you can listen on uh, Apple Podcasts. You can also listen on Spotify or here uh, every single Wednesday at 3.30 p.m. on the YouTube ch channel for the video version. Anyway, we're going to sign off. Thank you so much for coming yeah, on. Thanks. Thank you for having me. I was glad to tell my story. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. we'll See, talk to you guys soon.